I'm excited for tonight. I want to jump into it. So if you have your Bibles, I hope that you'll get as excited with me as you can for Acts chapter 13 tonight. Come on. Hallelujah. And as we continue in our series, I want to set up kind of where we are and where we have been. Now, if you have not been here, uh, if this is your first time, we are walking through the book of Acts right now. And we have been chapter by chapter. You notice tonight when I said 13, that we're jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, We've done Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. We are jumping all the way to Acts 13 tonight because of how long this series is. And so the title of the series has been Be a Blessing, and each week has been Be a Something Different. And tonight, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down at the top, and that is Be a Missionary. Be a Missionary, and we're going to define that tonight. And so you heard Fernando share a little bit of his journey in college and how he has learned that being a missionary is not exclusive to traveling or any one city or any one job, but it is a way of life. And that way of life comes from following Jesus. He is the one who shows us what it means to be a missionary. Well, along this series, we've been watching the early church form in the book of Acts. Right? You remember Acts 1, verse 8 that we covered in the week one, where we talked about how we have God's Holy Spirit living in us as believers. And it's through his spirit that we gain direct connection with God, we get to walk with him, we get to know him, we get to have a relationship with him. He gets to know us more and more. But more than that even, we have the power of God, the power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of our bodies. We quite literally have the power to do amazing things for the kingdom when we are walking with the Holy Spirit. And so we've seen the early church form in Acts chapter 2, how they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. And then we watched Peter and John see a real miracle happen before their eyes, right? The man who was limping, he went from limping to leaping. He went from paralyzed to praising, right? And then we saw last week what it means to be a rebel, to go against culture, to be a rebel for Christ, and to stand up for the gospel when persecution comes. I want to say real quick before we get into tonight, it's been really cool to hear some of the God stories that have happened over the last seven days. And it would take me my entire sermon time to tell you what those are. But last week we talked about being bold, for the gospel. We talked about being bold for our faith. And you'll remember, maybe, if you wrote this down, we said last week we all agreed that if our faith is never persecuted at all, we have to ask if our faith is bold at all. Because bold faith comes with persecution in this world when we're going against culture. And so what's been cool over the last seven days is to hear some of the God stories that have come out of last Monday night Hearing college students have opportunities to defend their faith and to share the gospel and to love those who nobody else is loving. It's been really cool. So I want to encourage you, keep going on the path that God has for you. But tonight, we land with Be a Missionary, and we're looking at Acts chapter 13. Now, before we jump there and before we walk through a few things that I have for you tonight, I want to tell you that me and my wife went on a trip that really changed our lives in summer of 2021. We were coming right out of the COVID craziness and the COVID madness and this was our first trip since, uh, first real trip since being on lockdown. And we went to Los Angeles, California. Here's a picture of me and my wife. She is amazing. She is so sweet. She's a teacher at Bartlett Ninth Grade Academy. She teaches in the public school system. And I don't know if you've been around ninth graders much, but man, ninth graders need Jesus. Can I get an amen? <laughs> they are a wild bunch, but it's a really cool age and it's a really moldable age. This was me at Staples Center, obviously, before they rebranded. I've been a diehard Kobe fan my whole life. And so we did everything we could while we were in Los Angeles. There's one more picture. This is at the Griffith Observatory. You can see downtown LA far in the distance and you'll see all the neighborhoods. And we went on this trip, that's enough, enough with the pictures, we can turn those off. And we went on this trip, we did everything you could for a vacation. Went to Disneyland, which is awesome, right below Disney World. I don't know what your opinion is. It's, it's great, but it's not Disney World. We went to Disneyland, we went downtown, we went to all the beaches you could go to, Malibu, we went to Venice Beach, and we wanted to see all these places that I had heard of and I wanted to see them. 
uh, firsthand. So we went on this trip in summer 2021, and we were doing as much vacation stuff as we could, and it was a time to rest before we were traveling more. And we were going to be there on a Sunday, so we decided to find a church to go to while we were in Los Angeles, California. Now, we knew that the church situation was going to be different in Los Angeles than it is here in Memphis. I don't know if you've ever been out west or up north, but there's some cultural differences. And when we were in Los Angeles, we were searching for churches to go to on a Sunday morning, and we didn't realize just how hard it would really be to find a church. You hear some statistics and you hear some, some stories about having a hard time finding believers out there, but until you're really there and looking for a place to gather with people to worship, you start realizing how hard it really is to find that. And so we found this one church. It was a church plant. It was a North American Mission Board church plant. So NAM, North American Mission Board, which is planting churches all across America. And he was a church planner. He had planted there for probably about three years at that point. And he was from Tennessee. So when I saw that he was from Tennessee, I saw that he had come from Long Hollow to plant a church there. I decided this would be fantastic. So we reached out to him. We told him we were going to be there for a Sunday. And we went on a Sunday morning and we worshiped with our church family. The most powerful thing about this trip was not Disneyland. It was not the Griffith Observatory. It was not anything else. It was that we got to sit down face to face with this pastor and his wife and hear why they uprooted their family from Tennessee to Southern California, which is a vast cultural difference. And we asked a lot of questions. Now, we had been around LA. We had seen a lot. There's a lot of beaches. There's a lot of mountains. However, there's a lot of homelessness. There's a street very close to Venice Beach where the homelessness is unimaginable. The streets are lined with tents on the sidewalk where people are just living their lives homeless inside of tents along the sidewalk. And we had seen the, the brokenness. We had seen the culture. We had seen the overall effects that was happening in LA from a spiritual standpoint. But when we sat down with this guy, we asked him a few questions. We asked him, number one, so you chose to uproot your life as a 30, 35-year-old adult and move away from your family all the way to Southern California where you don't have any family and friends? And he said, yes. I said, okay, that's one bold move. I said, number two, the cost of living. <laughs> we noticed gas real quick. It's expensive out here. I said, you chose to give up where it's a whole lot cheaper to live to move here where it's more expensive. And they said, yes. I said, okay, that's another bold move, sir. <laughs> and then we said, we said, you don't have any necessary previous experience with LA. You just left what you knew in order to go somewhere that you didn't know. And they said, yes. And the last one, I wrote it down because what he said, it stuck with me. We asked him, we said, you chose to leave a big church where there were a lot of Christians to come to a neighborhood to plant a small church where there's no other churches on the corner and there's not a lot of other Christians. And he said, yes. And that led us to our final question, which I think is the greatest question of the night. We looked at him in the face and said, why? <laughs> why would you leave that which is comfortable? Why would you leave that where your family is? Why would you leave that that is more affordable? All to move across the country. And his answers have stayed with me ever since. He said this, his simple answer was, because God called us to. He said, God doesn't call us to live comfortably. He calls us to live obediently. He also said to me, eye to eye in his living room over dinner, he said, God calls us to be light. And we got to a point in our Bible reading where we realized in order to be a light, we have to be willing to go where it is sometimes darkest. And then he looked at me. And he said, it's dark here, but God is faithful. 
And then he told me numbers and statistics. If you're a numbers person, you'll appreciate this. He said the church they left in Tennessee had one church for every 600 people. Now, you can imagine one church for 600 people. That's a pretty good ratio for people to find a church home, to plug in, to get discipled, to be sent out on mission. That's a pretty good number. In Los Angeles, as of 2022, there is one church for every 80,000 people. The numbers don't lie. I said, one for every 80,000? He said this number to me. He said, every day we walk on the streets of Los Angeles, 9.5 people out of 10 do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, we left what was comfortable because there is a, a dying need. What is that need? There are people in our own country, in our major cities in America, who are dying and going to hell because they don't know the gospel of Jesus. And he said, me and my wife had the gospel. God gave us this calling. And we just said, you know what? I'd rather be uncomfortable in God's will than comfortable out of his will. And I'll tell you that because since he told me that, I have wrestled with those numbers for two years. I've researched all across America the cities that need Jesus and how we as, at Bellevue can send missionaries and send resources and send people and I want to ask you the question tonight. I don't want to persuade you to be a missionary. I just want to ask, have you ever considered your calling and if it could be one? Have you ever considered what it would be like for you to be sent for the gospel? Now, understand first, before we get into Acts 13, that every single one of us, when we become a Christian, are a missionary in Christ right where our feet are. Jesus, as he gave the great commission after raising from the dead, he said, go and make disciples that you are called as a believer to make a disciple. I'm not telling you what you should be. I'm telling what you already are, and that's a disciple maker, a believer who's supposed to live on mission. But college students, tonight I want to challenge you to dream a little bit bigger with your life. Have you ever considered that you may be the one called to go plant a church or be a team member of a church plant? Have you ever considered that your life may be one where you might be called to a city like New York or Seattle or Los Angeles or Las Vegas, not for any gain for yourself, but to just be a missionary? Let's take it a step further. Have you ever considered that your life calling may be to live out of the country as a missionary where the need is so great and the gospel has not been preached? Have you just considered that? I can't persuade you to do something like that. <laughs> Lord knows I don't have that power in me, but have you considered it? I hear Fernando talk about his chemical engineering degree, and I think, have you ever thought about your degree and how that is an instrument to bring glory to the kingdom? And so tonight, as we talk about missionary, I want you to dream big, and I want you to ask the question, what is your unique special calling? Now, I want to define this, and this will be on the screen. You can write this down, or you can take a picture of it. And this will not this. It'll be be a missionary. The definition of a missionary. What is a missionary? It says this, a missionary, and this is defined by our missions pastor here, a missionary is a disciple of Jesus set apart by the Holy Spirit, sent out from the church to cross geographic, cultural, and linguistic barriers as part of a missionary team focused on making disciples and multiplying churches amongst unreached people and places. So when we say, be a missionary, this is what we are saying, a disciple who is sent out. Now, where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 13, we see Paul, and we see him about to begin a missionary journey with Barnabas. And this is an incredible moment in Acts, and I want us to read it together. And so if you will, look with me at Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now it says this, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, 
Barnabas, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, a close friend of Herod, and Saul, whose name goes through a name change to Paul. As they were worshiping, verse 2 says, the Lord and fasting, there's worship and fasting, they're gathered corporately together. It says this, that the Holy Spirit said. Now remember, we said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that as believers, the Holy Spirit would live in our bodies. We would see that the Holy Spirit gave Peter and John, when Peter stood up to preach, he gave him the words to say when on trial. And now we see a personal moment of the Holy Spirit being a guide and being a helper and being the voice behind them saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever we turn to the right or the left, students, that Holy Spirit lives in you if you know Christ. The same Holy Spirit we read in Acts chapter 13 lives in you today if you know Christ. Yet so many of us settle to not hear God's voice as often as we really could. That same Holy Spirit lives in you. It says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, as they were pursuing God, as they were at his feet, God spoke. It said, the Holy Spirit said this, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Verse three says, then after they had fasted, after they had prayed, after they had laid hands on them, they sent them off. And all God's people said, amen. So let me ask you this. I got two questions for you. Number one is this. Do you recognize God's voice when he calls? As a college student in 2023, do you recognize God's voice when he calls? And this is very important because if you have a relationship with Jesus, God is speaking to you. God is a talker. God loves to talk. God talks in many different ways. They never contradict his word, but our God is a talker. As humans, we're not always the best listeners. But I want to ask you, do you recognize God's voice when he calls? I can recognize my dad's voice out of a lineup of 100 men. I can hear it in my head right now. He's a little country. He says, hey, buddy, how's your explorer running? Is it still going? (laughs) Still hanging in there. I can recognize this voice in my sports games when I was playing basketball or when I was playing soccer, which I was not good at in any way, shape, or form. But I could hear his voice from the crowd. I could pick it out of 100 people. And the reason I know my dad's voice is because I'm close enough to my dad to know his voice. I want to ask you, are you close enough to God to be able to know his voice when he speaks? Because a lot of us, we, when we talk about like our calling and we talk about what we're supposed to do with our life and we talk about our purpose and we talk about what we're supposed to our job and our career and who we're supposed to marry. I hear so many people say, I want God to talk. I want God to speak to me. I want God to show me the things I don't know. We want God to reveal a mile to us, but we're not listening for the step. We want God to tell us the 10-year plan, but we won't listen to him for today's plan. Notice in Acts chapter 13, what were they engaged in when the Holy Spirit began to speak? worshiping and fasting, meaning giving up something that which is earthly in order to gain that which is heavenly, whether that be food. They were pursuing God. In fact, what's very fascinating, this verb that's used here, when it says worshiping in Acts chapter 13, if you look at it there where it says, as they were worshiping the Lord, that verb that's used there, what's very fascinating about this, is that that verb is communicating that they were serving. And it was so in a way that they were serving that the Greek word I usually used was for doing public service at one's own expense, which is very fascinating. So when it says worshiping, they were doing some sort of public service as well. 
that was at one's own expense. They were giving up something. They were worshiping, they were serving, and they were fasting. They were quite literally doing God's will in God's presence, giving up something from this world in order to gain that which is heavenly. Guys, they were in God's presence, and that's where God spoke. And note that they were corporately together, not just on their own. They were doing this as a group, moving in the same direction. I just want to tell you, there, God is offering you opportunities every day to hear his voice. Every day. There is not a day that goes by that God does not desire to live in you, speak to you, walk through you, and walk with you. There's not a day that God is not desiring to share with you. Why? Because the Bible says this is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice. And guess what? There is no day worth rejoicing over that we don't have God in. And he's offering that to you. And for seven years since I've been on college ministry, I've said eyeball to eyeball with college students and I've heard so many of them want to know the direction of their life. They want to know what they're supposed to do in three years. They want God to give them some sort of direction for the next three years, but they're not obeying his calling today. The simple task, the simple joy of waking up in the morning and choosing to worship and choosing to be in God's presence. So I want to ask you, are you close enough that you would even recognize God's voice when he speaks? Because I have two subpoints. The first one is this. A, you can't accept a call that you don't hear. No matter how bad you and I want to know our life's plan, you can't accept a call that you don't hear. Now, Scripture says this about the voice of the Lord. I'll give you just another moment to write this down. You can't accept a call that you don't hear. Psalm 29, verse 3 and 4 says this about the voice of the Lord. It says that the voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord is splendor. And then I love the words of Jesus, a text that spoke to me. When I was in your place in college, looking for my direction in life, Jesus, when he speaks about being a shepherd, he also refers to his sheep and what it should be like with his voice. Look at this. It says, John 10, verse 14 and 16, Jesus says of himself, he makes an I am statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And he says, I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. Let me get practical with you for a moment about the voice of God because if we're going to do anything for God, we have to truly be with God. There is no going on a mission trip. There is no being a missionary. There is no being a witness if we are not witnessing God's presence firsthand ourselves. I wanna ask you this practical question. You've been in church services. You've been in our services. We've done worship songs. We've done these set lists. When you worship and I'm talking about just singing. When you are singing, is God even on your mind or your heart? I'm not calling you out. I'm talking to myself too. But you know what? I know a lot of services I go to when I sit there and I sing these songs and I go through the motions and my mind is on everything else in the world except the one I'm supposed to be worshiping. Is that not just worshiping with our body and not worshiping with our heart? Isn't that going through the motions? how hard it would be, how miserable it would be to go to church services and sing songs and worship and have everything else in our mind except God. That's, that's awful. 
I was in church service as a kid. I've done the whole sit there, sing the song, sit down, get through the message so I can hang out with people. And it's awful. <laughs> like that life is not fun. But when you are just singing, which worship is not just songs, it is service. But when you are sitting there and you are singing these songs, God wants to be on your mind and he wants to be on your heart because there's not a day that you and I are not on the mind and the heart of our God. I wonder what kind of worship we would offer if our mind and our heart was on God when we're supposed to be worshiping him. I really do wonder for college students, if our mind was fixed on God in our worship, if that would change what we think about when we're out there not worshiping. I wonder if we would fall into less temptation and less sin if we really came into this place and during worship said, I'm going to meditate and think about the one I am worshiping. I'm not thinking about my problems when I worship my God. I'm not thinking about how stressed I am when I worship my God. I'm not thinking about who's next to me. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm just thinking about the attributes and the characteristics of my God and how good he has been to me, how he is the greatest blessing, and how he's given me so many blessings that I don't even deserve. Let me ask you another one. When you pray, do you believe God is listening? Don't act like we got perfect prayer warriors in here. I'm not one. I want to be. <laughs> I'm not one. If I tell you as somebody who was in your spot and still wrestles with prayer every day, that there's a lot of time I pray prayers. If I'm being really honest, and C.S. Lewis talks about this in the screw tape letters, I'm not really offering prayers to God. I'm just talking to myself. There's a difference in you just venting to vent and you laying every single thing you have down for God to then do something with it. So your worship and your prayer, do you believe God's really there or do you just focus on if you feel him? And then your worship, is God on your mind? Is he on your heart? Because you can't accept a call you don't hear. And every day you have God calling. You have God offering you things. You have God speaking to you. And some of you are leaving blessings and opportunities on the table because you're not giving God your all. And I've been there. A pastor said this to me one time. I've never forgotten it. I think it's so good. I hope you write this down. He said, don't just pursue the call of God. Pursue the heart of God. And you'll find yourself doing what you're called to do. So many times we want answers and direction. Yet when we pursue his heart, we find everything we need and more. So are you close enough to him? You can't have a perfect obedience track. You're going to mess up. But if you are not pursuing God, you don't have anything to pour out into anybody else. And you're going to feel drained and you're going to feel empty. Are you close enough to him to be used by him? But not only that, B, here's the second thing I wrote down. You can't follow multiple voices at once. You need to understand this. Before we talk about what God is raising Paul and Barnabas up to do, before we talk about the great opportunities you have for your life, before we talk about all the missional opportunities you have, all the chances you have to really do something incredible for God's kingdom day in and day out in Memphis and beyond, understand this. God's voice is not the only one speaking to you. The world's voice gets really loud sometimes, doesn't it? One person's with me. The world's voice gets really loud sometimes, doesn't it? 
The world wants you to do any and everything that is not in your best interest or for God's glory, doesn't it? Oh, the world's voice is so loud. And every day the world is telling you to sin and to give in. And hey, just a little bit. What's wrong with just a little bit? And every time you take a little bit of that temptation, it leaves you empty. But you want to go back for more because it's like a fix. It's hard to follow the world's voice and God's voice because they're contradicting each other at every single turn. God tells you to love others. The world tells you to love yourself. God tells you to make much of his son's name, Jesus. And the world tells you if you don't build your name, what platform do you have? What good are you? What worth or value do you have? But not only that, and I think this is very important. Not only does the world's voice get loud, your own voice gets very loud. Do you know that you are not a very good counselor for yourself? I hate to be the one to tell you this. I know some of you think of yourselves as a really good advice giver. You think of yourself as the person that people come to when they need advice. I get that. But when you are apart from the spirit and you are speaking to yourself in the flesh, you will lead yourself to really, really bad situations. And that comes from James chapter 1. James says this. You can write this reference down in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. When talking about temptation, it says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Man, you have, college students, a time in your life where you could go anywhere for God, live anywhere for God, do anything he calls you to do. You're choosing a career. You're choosing somebody that you're going to marry. You're choosing how you're going to live your life on mission. And you know what? Your flesh will tell you that there is no gain in God. You need to do it yourself. And every time you do that, you will find yourself broken, bruised, and battered. But I want to warn you of something. And I'm serious. Hear me. Not only does the world's voice try to get your attention, and your own voice will lead you astray, the enemy's voice can be really loud. Can I get a witness in here? I don't know if you have any experience with spiritual warfare. I hope that you realize you do. But man, the enemy would love, love, love to derail you from God's call. He would love to keep you from the goodness and the greatness and the mission that God has for you by tempting you, by lying to you, by discouraging you. See, some of you, before I even talk about being a missionary, think there's no way God could ever use you in that way. It's for somebody else. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. And some of you tonight, I'm afraid, are going to sit there and you're going to hear about these really cool opportunities that you could go on mission and you're just going to say, you know what, that's for somebody else. God wouldn't use me that way. And that's a lie from the devil. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 when he speaks about where our war is. He says in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces. The Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion prowling around to devour somebody and his target is you. You are the enemy's target. He would love to take away what God has for you. He would love to mess your friendships up. He'd love to mess your family up and he's actively trying to do it every day. Every day, every day you feel in your heart some kind of jealousy or bitterness towards somebody else. That's the devil just tempting you and trying to get you to have some sort of beef with somebody else who is made in the image of God. Every single time you think there's no way God will forgive me of my sin, that's the devil bringing your past to you and throwing it in your face. Because if the devil can keep your past on your mind, maybe he can keep you from thinking about what your future could be like for God. 
You are his target. Not just me, not just Dakota, you. And that's why as we look at Acts, they encounter all these supernatural challenges and battles. That's why when Nehemiah wants to go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, he faces nothing but opposition and persecution because whenever God's work is happening, Satan is right there trying to block it. And college students, he is a loser. But some of you are losing in the battle right now. I'm telling you, some of you are living enslaved to what the enemy wants you to live enslaved to. When because of what we saw in Acts 1, chapter 8, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You have the power inside of you to walk, not just for victory. You have the power to walk from victory. You have the power to walk from the power of the cross of what Jesus did when he died for your sins and rose from the grave, defeating hell and defeating darkness. And oh, you have a chance to live in victory. But as some of you tonight who are sitting in here and you've got handcuffs on your wrists and they're labeled, you know what they say? Discouragement. They're labeled, you know what they say? Pornography. They're labeled, you know what they say? Racism. They're labeled, you know what they say? Betrayal. They're labeled, you know what they say? Bitterness towards somebody you won't forgive. They're labeled and they're holding you. And the reason you walk around feeling like you can't do what you are supposed to do for God is because he's got you in these imaginary handcuffs. And all day long, he just keeps whispering to you, you'll never be free, you'll never be free, you'll never be free. When children of God, those who know Jesus and have been redeemed by his blood are free, There is no being a missionary. There is no living for the Lord if you're doing it from your own power. There's no doing something for God if you don't know him here. Oh man, he loves you. And the devil has fought this sermon all week long trying to make it not happen trying to keep you from this place, not to be a member here or be a member of anything else, trying to keep you from just hearing this word because the devil knows and he hates that he's hearing this right now. The devil knows how many people in here could do amazing things for the gospel of heaven. The enemy knows how many of you could be church planters. The enemy knows how many of you could take the gospel to your workplace where you are four days a week, five days a week. The devil knows about your classmates and would love to keep you with a shut mouth so that they don't hear the gospel from you and he's working against you. But praise God, we have the power of the Holy Spirit that keeps that roaring lying on a leash so that he can't do whatever he wants to do. You have victory. Stop living like you don't. Now, if you believe that, we can talk about what it means to be a missionary and to go on mission. Look with me. Verses 2 and 3, let's read it again, Acts chapter 13. It says this, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, here's, here's God's direct orders to the leaders. He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So God speaks, number one. God says, set apart. Number two, he names drop who this calling is for. Notice this calling right here, this specific calling is not for everybody in the group. This is a unique calling. And then he says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So number two, and this is the hardest question of the night, I believe. Does God have your absolute yes on the table? Does God have your absolute yes on the table? 
So do you recognize his voice when he calls, when he speaks in a whisper, when he speaks from his word, when he speaks through people? Do you recognize his word? But number two, does God have your absolute yes on the table? Now, I have subpoints I want to walk through of what this means. And the first one, A, are you available to the Lord's call daily? Are you available to him daily? <laughs> I think about the goodness and the greatness of our God, that he is so intentional that everywhere we go, we have a chance to take the gospel with us. That there is not a single place we go where the gospel is not needed. That there's not a single place on this earth where somebody does not need to know Jesus or be encouraged in Jesus. Every single person who's on this earth, you need to understand, was made in the image of God. But not all of them are children of God. You are a child of God, like we said two weeks ago, when you repent and trust Jesus as your Savior. And every single person that you come in contact with was made in the image of God. And God desires for them to know Jesus, desires for them to choose Jesus. This right here is one of the biggest reasons I have seen college students miss their calling, if you will, delay what God has for them after college because they missed obeying every single day. It is really hard to give God your career if you cannot give God the calendar of your week. And I'm serious. It is really hard to be obedient to God when he calls you to go to another country if you cannot and will not be obedient when he calls you to go get in line at Chick-fil-A because the person in line at the very end is the person you've been wanting to share Jesus with, and this is a primetime opportunity to do that. It's really, really hard. In other words, it's hard to obey God in the mile if you're not obeying him in the steps. And so I want to ask you, are you available to the Lord's call daily? Daily. Because I think in this room there's some people who are not all in who are leaving it on the table, who are like one foot in and one foot out, playing with the gospel, playing with getting serious all about God, and then have one foot out. I'll tell you, what we see in Acts chapter 13 is that they are worshiping, they are fasting, and they are just ready. They're pursuing the heart of God, and God's call comes. Not only that, B, are you willing to do whatever the Lord says? And I'm serious, only you can answer this question. I can't answer this question for you. But are you willing to do whatever the Lord says? Career, degree, marriage, friendships, hobbies. One thing that I've loved, I have a really good book that I recommend you after service if you're interested in it. It's a book on calling. When you look across scripture, and Nehemiah is a really good one. I want you, this won't be on the screen, but I want you to write this down. When when God gives somebody a calling, right? We've defined what missionary is. Let me talk to you about calling. When God gives somebody a calling, what that means is there's always two things that come with that. And this is really practical. Whenever a calling comes from God, meaning he is calling you to do something that is unique and set apart for you, it always has new revelation and new responsibility. New revelation and new responsibility. When you see Nehemiah and he receives this call, the first thing that happens is God reveals to Nehemiah what has happened in Jerusalem and how the wall has been torn down and that there is a need. He reveals to Nehemiah the need and he reveals to Nehemiah the burden and the opportunity that is in Nehemiah's heart. And then God goes one step further. He gives Nehemiah the responsibility to then do something about it. 
One of the reasons I knew I was called, if you will, and this is a much longer conversation, but called to be the college pastor here at The View is because those two things happened. Point blank period. It's not complicated. It's very simple. There was a new revelation that God revealed to me through his word, through godly people. He told me, hey, at this place and at this time, you are the person that I want to lead this ministry. You have a passion for college students because you were saved in college, and here you will have the opportunity to multiply disciples. And that's great to have that feeling. That's great to have that passion. That's great to have that, that desire. But at the same time God revealed that to me, he opened up the opportunity for me to step into this job. And I'm telling you, God will do that to you. He will open up opportunities for you to serve, for you to volunteer, for you to lead, for you to share the gospel. And whenever he brings to you new revelation, whenever he brings to you new responsibility that all lines up with his word, he's calling you into something new. And it always comes through worship and prayer and fasting. There is no substitute for being close to God. So are you willing to do whatever the Lord says? If he said, change your major tomorrow, would you do it? <laughs> for some of you, that's hard. If he told you, that your financial situation is going to be hard, very hard, if he ever told you this. And he said, but I will provide. But financially, you're going to be, it's going to be hard, but every step of the way, I'm going to show myself faithful to you. Would that be okay with you? Or would you say, actually, God, I don't know about that. I want a lot now. I have a certain way I'm expecting my life to play out, and I don't know if I want to trust you every day with it. Would you do whatever the Lord says? And that's what I want to ask you. Have you ever considered that your degree is something that God wants to use as an instrument, not just for you to gain something, but for him to be used in your life to expand and grow the gospel? Not only that, would you be willing to do whatever the Lord says, but see, are you willing to show love to whoever the Lord says? Every time I go to Denver, Colorado in the summertime, I'm not called to go on a mission trip just to Denver. I'm called for that time to the people of Central Park in Denver, Colorado. When you look at scripture, God always calls us to people, not just places. He calls us to people. And in your life right now, you have people that you are with in your daily sphere who are probably dying and don't know the gospel. There are people who don't know Jesus and are not on that path. And God is calling you to those people. The question you and I have to ask is, do we care enough to do something about it? Do we care enough to obey and to say yes and to take the gospel to that person? Are you willing to show love to whoever the Lord says? And then D, are you willing to go wherever the Lord says go? One of the things I loved about college ministry is that you have the chance to give every summer away to the Lord. That there are places in America and there are places across the world, like Fernando was talking about, that you could go next summer as a missionary. And here at Bellevue, we would help you in every step of the way of being trained, equipped, and sent out to go. But you have to ask the question, does your summer belong to you or does it belong to the Lord? You have to ask when you are looking after college and you've got one or two years before you really step into your profession, that gap year, 
Does that gap year belong to you or the Lord? I mean, what would it look like for you the day you graduate? And I know this is crazy, but what would it look like the day you graduate from college to go and be sent as a missionary to Seattle for two years to work with a church plant in that city? Why could it not be you? We hear that and immediately we think, well, that's for somebody else. What's stopping you from spending the first two years after you graduate to say, hey, my life and the next two years at the least are completely on the table. My yes is on the table. I'm going to let God put it on the map and I'm going to go wherever he says I'm going to go. Do you think he would be faithful to reveal to you his will for you if you just put your yes on the table? But we're all so tired and worn out. We can't even obey God today because we're trying to figure and plan all these things out on our own. I can't tell you the amount of internships and, and jobs and cities that I've heard college students are going to move to and they tell me their reason. The first thing they say is I. And I said, ah, oh, if that's the very first thing, you've missed it. If you are going there or doing that or working here because of I or me, you've missed it. Go there because God has said go there to these people and share Jesus with them. Work that job, that career that you have because God has ordained it and showed it to you through his word and through godly people in your life. And every day that you wake up, you don't just wake up and go to a career you hope you like, but you wake up and you go to where God has placed you to go. I'm telling you, college students, there are some of you in this room who God is wanting to do a major thing through, but your yes is not on the table. You have half of a yes on the table. You're not there. What's stopping you? Has God not revealed how good he has been to you, how faithful he has been to you? I'm serious. I'm not persuading you to do anything, but I just want to tell you, I've asked myself when I was in college, how can I trust God with my eternal salvation if I can't trust him with giving up a summer to go <laughs> wherever? Doesn't matter. Yes is on the table. God puts it on the map. And you know what? For some of us, we're scared to do that. Because we want to go somewhere that we really want to go, but we're scared that when we put our yes on the table, God's going to put it on Raleigh in Dwelling Place Church where Pastor Leon is. And that's just not cool enough for some of us. We want to go to Africa. We want to go overseas. And yet your yes next summer may be being the first person to be an intern at Dwelling Place Church in Raleigh, Memphis with Pastor Leon. We don't dream that way. Why? Because we have a small view sometimes of God. <laughs> and it's not flashy and it's not fancy. Believe me, when you go out there, it's not going to be flashy and it's not going to be fancy, but you would serve all summer long with Pastor Leon at Dwelling Place. By the time our Mission Memphis team gets there, you've already done two months of work. He doesn't have interns. Why can't it be you? we got a room of 200-plus college students in here. We've got a church 10 minutes up the road that is looking to revitalize and get on fire for Jesus, and they want people to come in, young people. Why not you? Because the devil is talking to us too much, because we got all our own plans. We can't stop long enough to think, man, how could God use me in Raleigh? Memphis. I talked to Pastor Leon. He said, Daniel, this is what I'm wanting to do. When we get our gym re-floored every Friday night in Raleigh, the crime is at its highest from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. That's the highest time of crime in Raleigh, Memphis. This is 10 minutes from where you're sitting. 10 minutes that way. And he said the crime is highest from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. He said, what I want to do is I want to host basketball in this gym every Friday night from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And he's about to open that up and start it. And he said, Daniel, would any of your college guys want to come out here, but not really to play basketball, not really to get a workout, but to be here and get to know the people in the community and to be a light? You don't have to go to seminary to go do that. <laughs> I'm telling you. 
when Paul describes what he went through for the gospel, I just don't think me, I don't think I am willing to give up what Paul gave up in the New Testament. I think I'm holding on to too many things in my life, and I'm not the only one in this room. I'm holding on to too many things that are comfortable, too many things that I've got control over, and I'm not willing to even suffer a little bit for the gospel because when Paul talks about his journey at the end of 2 Corinthians, look at this, it'll be on the screen. He says this, he says, I repeat, this is Paul speaking about his journey. Let no one consider me a fool, but if you do, at least accept me as a fool so that I can also boast a little. What I am saying in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord were, but as it were foolishly. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. He says in verse nine, for you being so wise, gladly put up with fools. In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone exploits you, if someone takes advantage of you, if someone is arrogant toward you, if someone slaps you in the face. I say this to our shame. We have been too weak for that. But in whatever anyone dares to boast, I am talking foolishly. I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I am a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I have received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. I mean, his back was ripped apart with lashes because he was being a missionary. His back, the skin was ripped off as blood came out of his back, all because he was planting churches and preaching Jesus. He says, I received the 40 lashes five times. He says, verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I was spent a night and day in the open sea on frequent journeys. I faced dangers from river, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me. This is his love for people. There's the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, who was blessed forever, knows I am not lying. Our role model as a missionary was beaten and shipwrecked and persecuted and tortured, and he counts it all joy to be suffering for the name of Jesus. And you and I won't talk to somebody in Starbucks that doesn't know Jesus. We won't talk to the person in class. It's not the world that doesn't want to talk about faith. It's believers that don't want to talk about faith. What if your faith looked like that? It hurt. But you and I would finally know what it means to, to rejoice when we suffer dishonor for the name. I just want to dream big. And I can't imagine across this room how many of you could plant churches and be team members on churches all across this country and all across the world if you just put your yes on the table. I can't imagine how many of you could change. I'm serious. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, change the trajectory of dwelling place church at Pastor Leon's help if you just showed up there one time a week all summer long next summer. I can't imagine how different that community would be if 10 of you got together and said, hey, Pastor Sean runs the Sin Relief Center and he's a pastor at Binghamton. What can we do to help? And 10 of you, you let it. You said 10 of us are going to Binghamton and all we're gonna do all summer next year, all we're doing from January to May is whatever Pastor Sean says. If he tells me to jump, I'm gonna jump twice. 
Whatever he tells me to do, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to serve. And I couldn't imagine the relationships and the people who would go from the broad road to hell to the narrow path to heaven because you and I stopped putting our no on the table. We put our yes on the table. God put it on the map. It started in Memphis. He took it to the country. He took it to the world. And God's kingdom continued to grow. Why do you and I not dream that way? Why? Your life is not your life. It was purchased and it came at a cost. My life was purchased. My life is not my own. My preaching is not my own. The ministry is not mine. My body and my soul was purchased by the blood of Jesus and so was yours. Your sin had a cost and you couldn't pay it and I couldn't pay it. And Jesus with his perfect blood paid the price for you. And I wanna say something to you. I wanna be so bold as to dare to say, Jesus did not die on the cross and purchase you for you and I to sit around and make our lives about us. He purchased you because he loves you. He purchased you because he has a plan for you. He purchased you because he's a God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and there's nothing he can't do. So why do you and I act like we're limited in what he can call us to? So, does God have your absolute and my absolute 100% full, not half? Does God have your complete present and today, not tomorrow, present and today? Does God, only you can answer this, does God have your absolute yes? When you choose to give him that, I was 21, 21 years old when I did it. When you put your full yes on the table and say, I'm not, I'm not going back. I've done it my way. I've tried to make this thing happen. I've tried to get this car going. I'm doing it God's way. You will never regret it and you will never look back. I haven't finished all of my sub points. And I don't think I can leave here knowing that I didn't give them to you. <laughs> So E, are you willing to wait for the Lord to speak? Are you willing to wait for the Lord to speak? You know what? God hasn't given me the whole plan today, but he's given me enough for today. You might not have the one-year, two-year, three-year plan, but he gives you enough just for the day, just enough that you need. And then the last one, are you willing to give up your plan for the Lord's plan. 